It's been a journey, hasn't it? And it's not over yet. Depending on your perspective and your circumstances, that could apply to a lot of things. 2020 and the coronavirus, a personal journey you have been on, perhaps enduring or overcoming hardship or trial, our world in general, all of history. Our God is so big, he's concerned with both the meta story of redemption and restoration for all things, which we focused on last week, his sozo, and also the comparatively micro details of our lives. Consider for a moment the comet Neowise, this three-mile-wide ball of ice traveling around the sun at 144,000 miles an hour. God has been guiding its course for thousands of years, and we've only known about it since March. At the same time, our God knows every burr on every coronavirus, which we can't even see with our own eyes. Ah, perspective. We've been looking for it all the more intently for many months now. And for the last eight weeks, we've been looking at it in a place that very few in our world are, but full of wisdom. A 2,600-year-old letter written in mostly poetic form by the prophet Zephaniah, great-grandson of King Hezekiah of ancient Israel. How have we found wisdom and perspective here of all places? Because our God is unchanging. Therefore, his will and word are unwavering. His purposes, his plans, uncompromising. He will bring judgment and justice to all evil and injustice. And he will bring restoration and redemption for all who turn to him and desire to live in his kingdom. We can be sure of this coming day of the Lord because he has already come. In Jesus, all the promises and prophecies of God are fulfilled he said this in Matthew 5, verse 17 and following. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And the Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. This is where our hope comes from, in God's faithfulness, in Jesus, our King and Redeemer. Now I've urged us to hang on through the harsh times because there is hope. This is why I believe I was led to Zephaniah. Zephaniah holds nothing back, harsh words to be sure but contrasted by some of the most incredibly hopeful promises in the Bible, all packed into this short little poetic letter. And today we wrap it up. Even though we're going to need this hope and harsh times message for a while longer, this morning, the theme we're all longing for, celebration. We should be able to feel this one. How many celebrations have been canceled completely or robbed of their usual joy in this past season? We've all been touched. Graduations, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, weddings, celebrations of life. Now, that one has touched me and my family deeply as we long to celebrate my dad who passed on April 8th. Sporting events and tournaments, the Olympic Games. One of the greatest themes in scripture and one that I think we undervalue or overlook as much as any is that God has created us to be a people of celebration, 
a people filled with great joy. When God established his people as a nation in those formative wilderness years, he established them as a feasting and festival people, despite their harsh circumstances. Yes, there were days of fasting and mourning and lamenting, but they were always juxtaposed, contrasted, by celebration and feasting. Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, a holiday observed with festive meals. Sukkot, a celebration of the fall harvest. Shavuot, the celebration of the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people, also known as the festival of first fruits. Passover, we may know that one more. A festival of freedom, marking the Hebrew exodus from Egypt. Later on in their history, they added even more. Purim, a day of celebrating the saving of the Jews from that diabolical plot of destruction as recounted in the book of Esther. Hanukkah, a festival celebrating liberation from oppression, freedom of worship, finding light in the darkest of times. And this isn't an exhaustive list either. I'm quite certain that those who might be labeled evangelicals do not celebrate like our ancestors, and we're worse off because of it. We must pray to learn the careful balance, if not tension, of lamenting and grieving alongside celebrating and feasting. You can't read through God's story without seeing both. Try reading through the Psalms. And what is the final word of the Psalms? The favorite Psalm of all drummers out there, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Here comes the drummer part. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What is the final picture of heaven given in the book of Revelation? But a feast, a banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 6 and following. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty One, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus taught of God's kingdom with this very same imagery. If you're reading with us through the gospels this year, I hope you are. A chapter a day. We've been in Luke recently. And in Luke 14, you read this. Jesus taught this parable about the kingdom of heaven as a great feast the master of the banquet says to his servants, Luke 14, 21 and following, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, but still there is room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. No wonder Zephaniah ends his letter with this same prophetic promise. It seems to be what God wants to leave us with, this hope, this longing for feasting and celebration. Yes, there will be harsh times, but that is not the end of the story. 
The end of the story is celebration and feasting. Zephaniah 3, 18 and following. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. We need this promise, don't we? Especially now, we who mourn, and there's been plenty of that, hasn't there? It seems to just continue. As many of you know, grief has touched our family deeply this year. My grandmother, my father, this past week, my cousin Josephine, finally lost the battle against cancer. Now, God did answer our prayers of healing over these years. He sustained her life many times. Now she is finally and completely healed. By his wounds, she has been made whole. So we rejoice, but we also mourn. We hold them together. And where does our hope come from? Jesus himself, one accustomed to grief and sorrow, the one who says, Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Our God will comfort those who mourn. Mourning and lamenting and longing are a part of our lives, even a part of our worship. It's where we're vulnerable and honest. It's where we will be embraced by our Father and also lifted up, comforted, and led through. We would not know celebration and joy without mourning and loss, not truly. Many are not only mourning, but suffering in various ways to various degrees. God promises, did you hear it? To deal with all our oppressors, verse 19. Whether systems or structures or governments, viruses, sicknesses, death. Our God and our King Jesus will save, deliver, gather. At a time when we cannot freely gather together in the ways that we desire, this promise gives us great hope. In maybe many months more. What if it's many years? Either way, a blip, if we could just gain a sliver of God's perspective. He has gathered us for eternity. He has made us whole. He has made us a people of praise and celebration forever. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Upheld, protected, gathered up. What a great anthem song this has been for the past eight weeks and a refrain that I hope will continue to sing for the weeks ahead as we keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on the incredible promises that are ours in Christ. Perhaps we don't have much to celebrate right now, not circumstantially, but circumstances are always fleeting. We must reach deeper than that. Our God is good, sovereign, just, present, glorious, righteous, all the things we've seen in this series. We have true and deep reasons to celebrate, even when our circumstances are lacking. The Apostle Paul teaches us this with his words and his life. In his letter to the Philippian church, chapter 4, verse 4 and following. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Verse 8. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But for how long, we ask? Does not your heart cry that right now? That's one of the most difficult things I think about suffering and hardship and trial. When the end is unknown or uncertain. It's certainly been tested in these recent months. Just for a few weeks has turned into four months. Just for a few more weeks is now a hollow promise. If we could circle a date on the calendar, even if it was next summer, we would adjust, adapt, pray, prepare. Not knowing is hard. But there is one who knows. And there's a reason he does not give us a date to circle. Just as vision and prophecy is often veiled. Just like Zephaniah's. Why? So that we will not rely on our own strength or reasoning, but remain fully dependent in faith on our God. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us in times of hardship, trial, and suffering. Thank you, Lord, for revealing enough. The Apostle Peter said it this way, 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. He has shown us enough. His promises may be at times fuzzy, veiled. They were for Zephaniah. He could only imagine the coming of the Messiah. Now we know he is and, and was Jesus. We have the promise that he is coming again as we've touched on a number of times in this series. Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, but God alone, Matthew 24, Mark 13, God alone has that date circled. So we can and should live with a sense of anticipation, dependency. And because his return may come at any time, as a midsummer storm can emerge in a moment, we live with a sense of urgency. While no one but God knows the date or the hour of the coming of day of the Lord, Jesus also taught that we should read the signs of the times. And in this current generation, specifically this current season, there seems to be no shortage of signs pointing to his coming again. Now let's not be too myopic. The church throughout history and just about every era could have also pointed out many signs and believed Jesus was coming soon. No doubt the early church believed and lived like Jesus was coming back even within their own lifetime, within a generation. Perhaps this is how we're always supposed to live. Which would help explain why God has veiled some of the details and timing of the prophetic promises. Let us live with a sense of anticipation, expectation, dependency, and urgency to make known the kingdom of God. Let me press into this for a moment. I hinted at it last week. What if we knew that Jesus was coming back in 13 years, 2033, not the day or the hour, for no one will know that, but what if we knew the year? What would be different about our life, our work, our relationships, our finances, our recreation and rest? 
From the perspective of history, that's very soon. Considering a lifetime, that's a significant amount of time. Perspective. Now, why even propose 2033? Hear me, this is not prophetic. This may be evangelistic. It's not a thus says the Lord, but a what if. I do have some history on my side that I think doesn't make this totally wacko to consider. There was a book, more accurately, a pamphlet written in 1988 by Edgar, Edgar Wisenot, titled 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. In the years to follow, Edgar revised his prophecies numerous times. He died in 2001. I don't have 88 reasons for 2033. I don't even claim one reason. I propose a musing based on some history. Listen, best estimates of Jesus' crucifixion by scholars and historians is around AD 33. And even if that date is years off, we are now approaching the 2,000-year anniversary. God alone knows the day and the hour. Why might 2,000 be a significant number? Besides that it's a nice round number, and our Lord does seem to deal in thousands of years from his perspective. But if we would rewind another 2,000 years prior to the crucifixion, we'd find a man named Abraham. It's likely sometime between the year 2000 and 1950 BC, God established his covenant with Abraham. Only God knows that day and hour. But that, that covenant included this, Genesis 22, 17, where the Lord says, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 2,000 years later, Jesus came and established what he called the new covenant in his blood, partially fulfilling all prophecies of God's blessing and salvation, all the yeses of his promises for all who would hear his voice and trust in him. Is it possible, amusing I present, that 2,000 years later will come the final and complete fulfillment of all prophecy? If we believed it, how different would our lives be? The Lord our God, the King of Israel, the King of Kings, will be in our midst soon from his perspective and promise. In fact, from his perspective, it is already done. Zephaniah 3, 17 the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And verse 20, final words of Zephaniah. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. We will be a people of celebration and feasting. And yet we are meant to live in God's kingdom now. Jesus taught his followers to pray for this. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to establish rhythms of joyous feasting, regardless of circumstances, and especially in harsh times. Should we begin now, planning for the big celebration to mark the end of a pandemic? Details, TBD. But with my final words of this series, and perhaps my last sermon for a month, at least in this format, I can't stop preaching. I want to join with the voices of the prophets, our ancestors, 
the apostles, and the early church and call us to celebration, regardless of our circumstances. You might ask, how can we possibly celebrate now? Probably not in the ways that we long to, but that's no reason not to try. Let me offer a few practical suggestions. Take them or leave them. Perhaps they will get the wheels spinning so that you can be creative. Personalize the practice. Suggestion one, join us at our food truck Fridays in August. A food truck in a parking lot, no matter how good the food, is but a foreshadow of the kind of party and feasting that we long to have. But it's the best way we've got right now to eat together. There should be joy in that. And if you're able to donate a meal or invite neighbors to a meal on you or purchase and deliver a meal to someone who's staying at home, as we give generously, serve, and extend hospitality, our joy is multiplied. Suggestion two, study one of the Jewish festivals that I mentioned earlier, celebrated as a family or with friends. Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was at the end of May. If you didn't do much to celebrate it, and I'm guessing you didn't, better late than never. But if you'd like to be chronologically correct, Rosh Hashanah comes up in mid-September. Start planning now. I can get behind a new year coming in September, can't you? Remember, Jesus did not come to abolish that which was of old, but to fulfill all things, to give them their ultimate meaning. Most of the Jewish feasts and festivals were meant to remember what God has done, to celebrate and give thanks for his provision, and to look forward to the fulfillment of his promises. And that's what living in the kingdom of God should always look like for those who follow him. Suggestion three, select a meal a week and make it special. Make that a rhythm. If you've been eating in front of the TV a lot, no judgment. But as a contrast to that, set the dining room table for once. Maybe with your nicest dishes or linens or candles. Perhaps make a food that is synonymous with celebration in your family. For example, bake a birthday cake, put candles in it, even if it's nobody's birthday. Take turns lighting the candles, saying something you're thankful for and blowing them out. For dinner, you could make a food that has traditional or festive meaning for your family or in your heritage. Even if you're borrowing from another holiday, grandma's biscuits and cheesy potatoes comes to mind. That always meant holiday at her house. No, thank you. We'll pass on the lime jello with shredded cheese. Seriously, that often found its way onto grandma's holiday table but it was nothing to rejoice over. Are your wheels turning yet or just your stomach? Either way, hopefully you're stirred. Be creative, celebrate. You can do it. I know you can. And finally, just like a food truck in a parking lot is but a foreshadow of the party and feasting that we want to have unhindered, let us always celebrate and rejoice in the Lord's Supper. The way we often practice it with a small piece of bread or cracker and a Sip of wine or juice, not much of a feast. It won't do much to satisfy hunger or thirst. But in this, it makes us long for more, for something that nothing on earth can satisfy, and that's good. But perhaps sometime in the month of August, you can prepare a special communion feast. Just like those first disciples in Jesus had eaten the Passover meal and were likely very full and satiated when he broke the bread and passed the cup, they didn't need physical sustenance at that moment. So they were very open to the spiritual sustenance that he was offering to them. Remembering his words, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's prepare and plan and then practice celebrating, rejoicing, being very open to the spiritual sustenance, the growth, 
that God wants to accomplish in and through us in this coming month and maybe season beyond. May it begin this morning, even now, as we respond to his words and his promises. The harsh times we're living in continue. Grieving and lamenting will continue to be needed. But alongside them, may we celebrate. Because no matter how harsh things get, there is incredible hope if we know and believe the promises of God. Love you, church. Miss you. Hope to see you soon.